Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you don't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. The book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 17. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 17. We, of course, are going through the life and ministry of David. And we are watching as King David is now going through the worst time of his life during this time called the rebellion of Absalom, Absalom's rebellion. And it's during the time of Absalom's rebellion that many different historical figures pop up out of the annals of history to reveal their true colors. That there are many people during this time who show up to help David and they show that even in the midst of inconvenience in the midst of hardship that they're willing to support David even though it doesn't seem to be popular whereas there's others who show their true colors and reveal who they truly are in a negative light where during this time of David's hardest time of his life and in the midst of the rebellion as David is fleeing and preparing troops and getting the army that we could see that someone has come to give him some relief and we find this uh first account found in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 17. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 17, and we're going to go towards the end of the chapter, noticing starting at verse number 27. 2 Samuel chapter 17 and in verse number 27, the word of God says this, and it came to pass when David came to Mahananim that Shobai, the son of Nahash, of Rabbah, of the children of Ammon, and Makar, the son of Emiel, of Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite of Rajalim, brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched corn and beans and lentils and parched pulse and honey and butter and sheep, and cheese of kind for David, and for the people that were with him to eat. For they said the people is hungry, and weary, and thirsty in the wilderness. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a single name that we're going to highlight today through the Word of God in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 17. The book of 2 Samuel chapter 17, at the end of verse number 27, we're introduced to the name of Brazili. Brazili. And with the Lord's help, we're going to do a character study and see the life here of Brazili. Brazili. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. And let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for you being a wonderful God. And thank you for the day that we could come here once again to open up the Word of God, to be an encouragement. And I'm asking that this message would help people in a special way. That you would help it to be practical. That you would help it to be realistic. That you would help people to be encouraged by it. And that they could see their own lives. That they would have a true evaluation. And that you would remove any excuses or anything they would have for not serving you. That you would set them aside so that that the way they could receive the full rewards that you desire for them to have. Again, fill me with your precious spirit now. Help me to say only those things that you desire me to say and refrain from saying anything that would be a distraction, that would not be needed, anything that would not be a help at this time. Thank you again for you being a wonderful God and that we could depend upon you and trust you by faith. Again, you do a work amongst your people today. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we're introduced to, once again, another historical figure in the life of David during this hard time, we are introduced by a man by the name of Brazili. And that's a very strange spelling and of a name, Brazili. But we're seeing him here, and there's a couple things we're going to see through him in the next couple chapters as he pops up and interacts with David. The very first thing I'd like to show you is Brazili's excellence. Brazili's excellence. Notice, if you don't mind, again, in verse, 
uh, number 27, we see Brazili. But notice this in verse 28. And brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched corn and beans and lintels and parched pulse and honey and butter and sheep and cheese of kind for David and for the people that were with him to eat. For they said, the people is hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Now we see that Brazili is introduced in this passage. He had been a friend of David for years. He's about 80 years old during this time. So he's in more of a senior saint. He's <laughs> been a friend of David. Now that David is running for his life, as him and his army is now gathering up troops and preparing what they're going to do, that as David's army had left, they had no time to plan logistics. They had to flee Jerusalem in a hurry, and they had no supply lines, no basis. And now as the armies gather together, they're discouraged, they're hungry, they're tired, they're weary. David's on the run. And in this chapter, we could see three men who step up together for the purpose of helping supply David to encourage them. Now, normally an army at this time, at this time of David's uh, part of history, armies are supplying off of basic supplies of honey and curds. Honey is something you could get in supply as you find honeycombs and you would survive off the honey. And curds, of course, would be uh, made from milk products, dairy products, and they would just uh, curdle the milk. And that way they could kind of store it a little bit because they couldn't carry refrigerators. They couldn't carry uh, cooling supplies or preservatives. And so a basic army, in order just to have basic supplies so they just don't starve to death, ate curds and ate honey. How would you like to survive off that? How would you like to say, honey, when we get home, you know what I got a hankering for? I got a hankering from some good curds, and I'm looking forward to not even fried curds, just curds and, and some honey, and, that, and that's what we're going to eat. Well, that's what an army survived off of. That's not very good eats at all. And day after day, a normal army, that's about what they could get. That was the minimum supplies. That's what the soldiers got to look forward to day after day after day. Their idea of gruel. This is survival rations. But what happens, these three men led by Brazili are actually bringing not the bare minimum, but they're giving exceedingly far above survival food. Notice this, what they bring. Verse number 28, and brought beds. Well, that's pretty important for an army to travel with, is sleeping supplies, to have beds to sleep in. Many of them have been sleeping on the grass, using rocks as pillows, just trying to get uh, anywhere to sleep. But here they brought some bed rolls. They brought some things for the army to sleep in. That would be a help. And they brought basins. Basins are important because you could keep water in them. You could use basins to wash your hands, to store things with, uh, to have them available. And earthen vessels. Once again, some things to keep um, supplies in. To have, <coughs> everyone needs some Tupperware. So, you know, having something where you could keep it, have storage with. And wheat and barley and flour, and parched corn. Well, this is a whole lot better than honey and curds. They're actually building them some supplies so that way the, uh, <laughs> the troops can have not just the same thing over and over to eat, but have a different things to eat and trying to bring enough so that way all the troops can have something to eat. And this is going to be advantage. Barley is going to be... <laughs> The probably the poorest supply, wheat would be something that's a little bit more expensive, a little bit more uh, luxurious, something a little bit more uh, tasty for them to have. Uh, parched corn, beans, lentils, which is another type of bean, and parched poles. We have these supplies here that are given to them that's above and beyond. Notice again what else they brought. And honey and butter. Butter is going to be an extra item. It's going to be something that's more uh, of, a, of a, a luxury. It's something you're definitely not going to have on a normal <coughs> soldier's thing. This is something that's above and beyond. Not meeting their needs, but meeting some of their wants as well. To encourage them, to keep them going, to let them know that someone cares. That something's fighting for. Notice it goes on. And sheep. And cheese of kind. And 
for David and the men. And they're speaking of them. But they're supplying these things that are going above and beyond. I want you to pay attention to a special uh, part of speech grammar here. Notice in between each of these things you have the word and. And brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley. The purpose of this is that this word and is separating each of these words to go ahead and slow down the reader. It's made for the purpose so you could pay attention that this isn't one big blob list, but each one of these items are important to slow down so you pay attention to it. This is a, a figure of speech called a polysnidedon. Uh, this is one of the most common parts of speech that you'll find in the Bible, that there's often lists that you'll find in the Bible, and they're separated with a word and for each part of the list. Whenever you see that used, God is trying to put attention. He's trying to slow down the reader and say, this is important. Don't just read it as a big group. But this is important, and this is important. And what God is highlighting right here is that these people, Berizai, who is leading the charge, is not just giving bare minimum. He's going above and beyond. He's looking and sees a need and says, here, I have the ability at this time to have a need, to supply a need. I have the ability right now to give what God has given to me and be a help at this time. He says, I haven't had the opportunity to help David before. I haven't had the opportunity to really pitch in like this. And I'm going to go all in. At this time, I'm going to do what I can to be a help. This is my opportunity. The spotlight is now. And so Berizai helps David. And he's using it to count. Now, Berizai is 80 years old. So he said, I can't fight. That's not what I can do to help David. He says, I don't have any influence with the court. Absalom, when he sees me, he doesn't know. He's not going to follow my advice, so I can't help out there. But one thing that I can help is I can give. He says, that's the one thing I have the ability to do at this time. When this specific time is I have the ability to give. And if that's what's going to make the difference, if that's what's going to help, then this is what I'm going to do to the best of my ability to help the cause, is I have the ability to give. And Brazil, I gave. He didn't give the bare minimum. He gave in a way that would make a difference in an important time of David's life. Now we stop here and say, what a great hero. We look at this and say, wow, look, at he was willing to give. He made a difference. All of these things were difference makers in the morale and the supplying of David and his troops. But then time goes on and we could see the other end of this. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 19. The book of 2 Samuel, chapter 19. In 2 Samuel 19, David has won the rebellion. Absalom has now died. Things are, are now moving on. David is coming back to resume the throne, to regain the throne at Jerusalem. He's passed the Jordan River, and he's already been met by several people. He's been met by Mephibosheth. He's been met by Shibei. And now he's met by Brazili. And whereas we start off with Brazili's excellence, that we could see that he was willing to give, and he had the ability to give, and he did what he could to make a difference in helping David in this time of his life. But now on the opposite end of this, we could see Brazili's excuses. Brazili's excuses. Excuses, excuses. We hear them every day. It's amazing how people have excuses. You know, I heard once of a preacher who was following up with someone and he was asking the person, Hey, can I see you at Sunday school? Will you go with me to Sunday school? And the guy says, No, I can't. And the preacher said, Well, why not? The guy said, Well, it's because I got a quarter milk in the refrigerator. Quart milk in the refrigerator? What does that have to do with anything? He says, one excuse is as good as another. That's all excuses are. If you're already determined not to do it, then all it is is you're giving a justification of why you've decided you're not going to do it. And so now we can see David, he's talking with Brazili. And he gives a request. And Brazili gives excuses. Notice if you don't mind as we pick up this passage and 2 Samuel chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter 19 and notice with me in verse number 31. 2 Samuel chapter 19 and notice with me in verse 31. 
And Brazili the Gileadite came down from Rogelim and went over Jordan with the king to conduct him over Jordan. Now Brazili was very aged man, even fourscore years old. And he had provided the king of substance while he laid at Mahananim, for he was a very great man. And the king said to Brazili, Come thou over with me, and I will feed thee with me in Jerusalem. And Brazili said unto the king, How long have I to live, that I should go up with the king until Jerusalem? I am this day fourscore years old, and can I discern between good and evil? Can thy servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any more the voice of singing men and singing women? Wherefore then should thy servant be yet a burden unto the Lord, the king? And the servant will go a little way over Jordan with the king. And why should the king recompense it with me with such a reward? Let thy servant, I pray thee, turn back that I may die in mine own city and be buried in the grave of my father and of my mother. But behold, thy servant Cherim, let him go over with the Lord the king and do him what seemeth good unto thee. So we could see this, that Brazili has met David on the other side of the Jordan and has crossed over with him. He's kind of escorting him over and he's saying, all right, I'm glad you won. I'm glad that the supplies I gave were a help. Oh, I'm glad that you're coming over, David. And so David's listening to everyone, talking to Brazili. And as David is now regaining things of the throne, he's realizing he has to rebuild his court because he has lost his most important counselor and that is Ahipothel, who we covered the other day. Hippothel was David's most important counselor, and now Hippothel is gone. And David realizes he needs a counselor. He needs someone who has some life experience. He has someone that he could bounce ideas off of. Remember, the Bible says there's a safety in a multitude of counselors. Everyone needs biblical counselors. Everyone needs someone that they could bounce ideas off of. Someone that's going to tell them the truth. Someone that's going to be able to help them discern what is the right way. So David sees Brazili and he says, you know what? I could use you. You could be a help. Why don't you come over with me? Why don't you be my counselor? Why don't you come and help me as we rebuild the court and do these things? And right away, Brazili begins to give excuses. He begins to give excuses of why he cannot help David. Why he cannot uh, serve. Why he could not be a blessing. And we could see this list of excuses. If you don't mind, let us mark these different excuses. And these aren't excuses that are exclusive to Brazili, but these are excuses we hear all the time of why someone cannot serve God. Why someone cannot follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Why someone will not increase their faith and do more for the Lord. The very first excuse that Brazili gives is, I am too old. I am am too old. Notice if you don't mind in verse 35, we see this verse excuse. I am this day, uh, verse 34, and Brazili said unto the king, how long have I to live that I shall go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day four score years old. Let's stop here. I want to remind you that a score is 20 and so a four score is four times 20. That's 80. So he's legitimately 80 years old. <laughs> and the king is saying, am I this day four score years? How long do I have to live? I'm just way too old. David, you need someone young to go with you. David, I, I, I just can't do it. You don't know how long I'm going to live. And so he pulls out the age card. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting to see how God can use people. Moses was 80 years old when God called him to the ministry. He was 80 years old. He was ready to retire outside of, <clears throat> out in the wilderness. And God spoke to him in a burning bush. 80 years old said, Moses, I got some plans for you. Of course, Moses tried to give some excuses too, but God wouldn't let him get away with it. But Moses is 80 years old and he served God another 40 years. You have Joshua or Caleb. 
Caleb was 85 years old when he went to Joshua and said, hey, Joshua, I want that mountain over there. I want that mountain with a really big giant. I'm at the giant-sized giants. I want that one. 85 years old, you give me permission, I'll go take care of it myself. 85 years old, I want that mountain. You understand that God can use people who are senior saints. God still has a purpose for them. God still has something he could do. And by the way, doesn't God know how old you are? Doesn't God know what your abilities are? And God knows how to use you nonetheless. David said, come on, you still can be used to me. I know that you're aged, but that's why I want to use you. You got life experience. Come with, oh, I can't. I'm just too old. I just, I can't. You understand the most common excuse given in the ministry, the most favorite excuse given of not serving God is always age. I'm just too young. I just, I can't do anything for God. I just too young. Oh, I'm too old. I can't do this. It's not the right time. But you understand God knows how to use you and he wants to use you now. He doesn't need you to wait. God has something prepared for you now. God has something for you. And so the first excuse is brought up. Brizai hits that one. I'm too old. I'm sorry, David. I know that you got plans for me. I know that you want to use me, but I, you can't. I'm just too old. Up comes excuse number two. Not only is he too old, but he also says, it's too much. It's too much. Notice if you don't mind, we could see this excuse that there are three phrases used in this one excuse. Three questions. The, word, the phrase, can I? Can I? Can I? And he uses this idea here. Ah, it's just too much. Notice this next excuse that we see. Notice in verse number 35. We go with the first excuse, transitioning to the second one. I am this day fourscore years old. And can I discern between good and evil? Can thy servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any more of the voice of singing men and singing women? Wherefore then should thy servant be a burden unto the Lord the King? So here's the third excuse. The third, or the second excuse, sorry, is it's too much. It's too much. And we could see him all phrased with the question, can I? Here's the first one. Can I discern between good and evil? Oh, David, you can't use me. It just, uh, who am I? Can I really discern between good and evil? May I put a pause and say that's exactly what he did when he supported David over Absalom? He had the choice. He didn't have to serve David. He didn't have to supply David. It was something he chose when he looked at Absalom, who was now taken over as the king, and says, hey, I could go with that guy, or I could choose David, or I could choose to be neutral and just pick whoever's best, who's last. But Brazili made a choice to help David. He was able to discern between good and evil. He was able to understand this. So this excuse isn't valid because he's already shown this. This is exactly why David wanted to use Brazili in the first place. You chose right already. I want to use you to continue to choose right. Brazil is like, how can I choose? Oh, can I really discern between good and evil? I don't have an aptitude for what you're offering me. I just don't think that's something I can do. It's not exactly what, what I'm looking for. It's not what I'm comfortable with. I'm sorry, David. You understand there's times that God will ask you to do something that you're not comfortable with? Someone asked once, <clears throat> will God ask me to do something I can't do? No, but he may ask you to do something you don't know you can do yet. God knows what you can do. He knows what. He created you. He knows everything about you. When he asks you to do something, when he offers the opportunity for you to serve, he already knows what you can do. And he's going to put you in a place where you can do that thing. But Brazil, I says, I just don't know if I could do it. I don't know if that thing's right for me. Well, God knows. Notice as we go up to the second part of this excuse. Notice this. <clears throat> Again, in verse number 35, he goes, Can thy servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can thy servant taste what I eat or what I drink? David is inviting Brazili to be a guest at his table. You understand what a great honor that is? Brazili, I want you to come and live with me. I want you to be my guest at my table. I want you to help me with the kingdom. I want you to help. The, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. 
For Brazil, I said, you know, I'm just really not interested in those type of things. I know that you're the king and you're trying to serve and you want me to help you in your kingdom. But I'm really not that interested. It's not that big of a deal for me. It's not something I'm looking for. You understand that God has a millennial kingdom coming up. A thousand years that he's going to rule and reign on this earth. And what God is looking for now is people to be faithful. People that he could use now who as we prove ourselves, we'll have a position to help him to rule and reign for 1,000 years. And our job and our responsibilities during the millennial kingdom is based off of our faithfulness right here and now. Up in the millennial kingdom, there's going to be a lot of street sweepers. Well, this is all God could trust me with. I didn't want to serve him in the time that I have. So for 1,000 years, this is going to be my job. Praise the Lord, I'm up here. But you understand that God has much more for this for you. He has more that he wants you to do. And what a great opportunity to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years in his perfect kingdom and to be there with him. And God wants you to invite you now to be part of that kingdom and what he has to do. You know, you could be saved and not have a job in the millennial kingdom. Not to rule and reign. It's based off of your obedience and your faithfulness now. For Brazil, I said, yeah, I understand the opportunity to serve in the kingdom, but it's not, I'm not interested in that. It's not for me. And he's going to miss out on serving with David. Notice this, he's still with the excuse, it's too much. It's too much. Well, I don't know if this is something I can do. I don't know if this is something that I want to do. Notice the third, can I in here, in verse number 35, can I hear any more the voice of singing men and singing women? So he gives this up. Can I, I, I'm, I can't hear the people singing. I don't want to listen to that. We understand that in the Bible, singing is often marked by testimony. That singing is associated with testimony. We know that in the New Testament, that being filled with the Spirit is evidenced by singing. That the Bible associates over and over that if you are truly filled with the Spirit and dead to self, one of the things that comes out is singing. So anyone who's not singing, we could trace that back. But Brazil, I said, ah, that's not an interest to me. I, I don't really looking forward to testimony services. Those aren't a big thing to me. I'd rather skip out. I'm not interested in it. And so what he's telling David is that I understand you're giving me a big opportunity, but it's not something I want to do not something I'm interested in doing. That's not for me. And what is going to happen is he says it's too much. He's going to miss out. So we can see two excuses that Brazili has brought up to David. David is just simply saying, you come and be my advisor. I got a position for you. I've got something for you to do. And Brazili said, I can't. I'm just too old. I can't do that. More than that, it's not something I'm interested in. It's not something I really want to do. It's not something, it's not for me. And he's given excuses of why he can't do it. We come up to the third excuse. Not only it's too old, not only is he at too much, but notice this, I'm too weak. I'm too weak. Notice in the end of verse 35. He says, wherefore then shall thy servant be yet a burden Unto the Lord the King. He says I really don't want to be a burden to you. Now that may sound really pious. But didn't David know what Brazil I could do? You're not going to be a burden to me. I already know what you could do. You're going to be a help to me. Oh I, can't, I just don't want to weigh it down. I don't want to slow you up. You could get a lot more accomplished if I wasn't there with you. That's not being pious. It's being selfish. And he's showing his own selfishness of something that he didn't want to do. David knew his limitations. He knew what he could do. He knew what he couldn't do. And he had a job just for that. He wasn't willing to trust David that David knew what he was doing. God knows exactly what you could do. There are some people that don't have the same health as others. But God knows what you could do. There are some people that don't have the same intellect or the same opportunities or the same education or the same physical traits or the same skills or the same whatever. It doesn't mean that you can't be used. God knows what you can do and he's willing to use you with the things that you can 
do. He can use you if you allow him to. But I don't want to be a burden to you. Now, if we can be realistic, there are some people that annoy us. We'll be honest. There are some people that when you see them, you, all right, well, I get to help them out again. But whereas we may be fallible, no one is ever a burden to God. Sometimes people will say, well, I just don't want to pray for the small things because I don't want to bother God. That's not bothering God. That's what he wants you to do. Take every little thing. It's not, you'll never knock on God's door and say, God, I got another prayer request. And he's not going to sigh and shrug his shoulders and say, again, he's excited for it. Aren't you glad he's a lot more tolerable than we are sometimes? God it, you'll never be a burden to God. Oh, but I'm going to hold back God. I just, I just can't do it. God says, I know what you can do and I got a job for you. Oh, but God, you don't understand. What do you mean you don't understand? I made you. God knows exactly what you can do. And so the third excuse is offered up. The first one, I'm too old. Oh, it's too much. Oh, I'm just, I'm too weak. I just, I can't serve you, God. I'm just not strong enough. The third one is offered up. A fourth excuse is now offered. Brazil is just full of them. David just said, hey, why don't you come and join with me? And all of a sudden, Brazil is just listing out excuse after excuse after excuse. The next one, it's too far. It's too far. Notice with me in verse number 36. <coughs> Thy servant will go a little way over Jordan with the king. And why should the king recompense it with me with such a reward? Oh, it's too far. I'll go with you a little ways. God, I, I, I will help you as long as it's convenient. But then there's a stopping point. And I'm not going to go any further. You know what the problem is? Is that most people aren't willing to go all the way. Oh, they're willing to go a little bit. They're willing to show up if it's convenient. They're willing to show up if they get enough sleep or the Packers aren't playing. They're willing to do it as long as the skies are clear and it's not raining. They're willing to... You know, they have all these excuses. I'm willing to go with you a little while as long as it's convenient. You know that convenience is the enemy of godliness. <laughs> convenience is the enemy of godliness. God has so much for us. But we understand that there's no easy way to serve God. And sometimes there's inconvenience. Some days it does rain. Some days it's not as sunshiny and warm. Some days it's too hot. Some days it's too cold. Some days I don't feel like it. Some days there's some things that I've got to get done. But you understand, those are excuses. God wants us to go all the way. Not just the times that it's convenient. Not just the times. I want you to think about Jesus Christ. There's no one who suffered, no man who suffered like Jesus Christ. Now we know that Jesus was 100% God, but he was 100% man. And he went through a burden. You understand the whole time Jesus Christ was on earth, he knew he was going to die. Seven years old, he knew he was going to die. 17, he knew he was going to die. 21, he knew he was going to die. 30, he knew he was going to die. He knew he was going. At any time, he could have said, ah, forget this. You understand, people were annoying. Can you imagine being a perfect God and being around sinful men all the time? Imagine going to school and all the kids picking on you and saying, I'm going to die for these people? Forget you. Think about the people. He had a business for a while. He worked for his father and when his uh, stepfather, and when his stepfather died, he took over the business. He was a carpenter. He was a businessman for a while. Imagine some people try to cheat Jesus. <laughs> Forget you. I'm not going to die for you. People mishandled him, misused him. Someone cut him off in traffic. That donkey just got on the other side and pushed. Oh, I forget that. And he didn't even start suffering yet, just dealing with people. Imagine he's at the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying sweat, great drops of blood. As he's praying so fervently that the capillaries in his skin burst and it mixed with sweat and it began to drip down his body. And he wakes up, or he gets up praying and finds his most trusted people sleeping. He kicks them and, get up, can't you pray for an hour? And he goes to pray a little bit. 
wakes up or gets done praying and they're sleeping again. I'm dying for these guys who all the way they were fighting, who's going to be the greatest? I'm going to be greater than you. Not listening to them. He's trying to say, hey guys, we're, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. All right, that sounds important. But who's going to be the greatest? I'm dying for these. These are my most trusted associates and listen to these goofballs here. Judas comes up and betrays him with a kiss. This guy who'd followed him for three and a half years sold him off. Would you keep going after that? Knowing that you had more to suffer? Jesus was put on a false trial in the middle of the night. People were hired to lie against him. You're on trial for your life and people are lying against you and you think, I'm going to die for these fools. But Jesus didn't quit. That was kind of inconvenient, wasn't it? Then he was brought before the Roman governor. And the Roman governor honestly wanted to save Jesus' life. So he figured that if he beat Jesus, it would satisfy the bloodlust of the Hebrew people. So he took a scourge, a, a whip with nine straps. At the end of it, it had rocks and glass and hooks. And that each uh, time that it was whipped, it would catch upon the flesh of the person being whipped and it would rip. The first century historian Josephus said at the end of one lash, you could take your finger and actually touch the bone. And they beat Jesus' back over and over and over until his back looked like hamburger meat. The pain that he went through. And yet Jesus said, I'll keep going. He could have quit. That was kind of inconvenient, wasn't it? And then they put a bag over his face and they took their fist and punched Jesus in the face and said, all right, who is it that hit you? They pulled out his beard until chunks of flesh came out. His face was so swollen and so jarred that it was said in the Bible that you couldn't even recognize that he was human anymore. They put a robe over him and it began to soak up the blood that was leaking from his back and stood him before the crowd and said, here is your Savior. And they responded back, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate's plan backfired. He figured if they saw the blood that they would say, be revolted and they would say, never mind, spare him. He suffered enough. But yet the priest had stirred up the crowd so much that they were chanting, crucify him. They put him on the cross. The cross was an instrument of one of the worst types of death. When they nailed someone to the cross, their hand in the ancient world was considered the wrist. And inside of the wrist is the median nerve, which is the most sensitive nerve in all the body. It runs through your elbow and when you hit it just right, you say you hit your funny bone, but there's nothing funny about it. But inside of the nerve here, when they insert and put that big spike through his wrist. It was like taking a pair of pliers and grabbing that nerve and twisting that electricity running through his body as that nail went through his, his hand. When someone was up on the cross, they died of suffocation. What would happen is that as the person was leaning over, their chest would be concaved over and they couldn't draw a breath. In order to get a good breath, they would actually have to lift up and take a breath and slide down. Well, remember that Jesus' back was all marred and beat up and it wasn't nice sanded wood that he was on. It was more like a big railroad tie with all the splinters and spikes. So every time he took a breath, it would go deeper into his back and just taking a breath would be so painful and he could go back down. And of course, every time he moved, the bone would grind against on the wrist against that spike. Breathing was just a painful ordeal. Jesus was on that cross, and he didn't have to stay. He could have said, forget this, and he was still God, and he would have been justified to get down. He could have stopped anywhere along the way, but he didn't. Jesus went all the way. And yet we come up with an excuse. It's too far. It's too much. I don't want to go that far. It's too inconvenient. Our excuse doesn't stand up compared to what Jesus Christ did for us. He went all the way to the cross. He died 
for us. And dying is not a pleasant thing. They put him in a borrowed tomb. And of course he rose again. As he received victory over the grave. But let me tell you that he felt every step of the way. And he didn't have to. But he chose to go all the way. And yet people give up the excuse. It's too inconvenient. It's too far. I don't want to do that. It's too much. Brazil is giving all these excuses to his king. I can't. I'm too old. It's too much. I'm too weak. It's too far. But he lifts up another excuse. Notice with me in verse number 37. We could see his final excuse that he lifts up. Why he can't obey the king. Why he can't follow the king. Why he can't allow the king to use him. Verse number 37. We see this last excuse. It's too late. It's too late. Notice with me in verse 37. Let thy servant, I pray thee, turn back again, that I may die in mine own city, and be buried in the grave of my father and of my mother. Behold, thy servant Shinnim, let him go over with the Lord. What we see here is exactly where Brazili was putting his goal at, where his attention is. He says, I just want to go back and I want to die. He still has health and life and strength, but he's already putting his attention on the grave. I'm preparing to die. Ah, my life is over. I'm done. I'm I'm retired. I just want to live out the rest of my years and just die. I don't want to be used anymore. I'm done. You know that God has equipped us with special skills. Things that we've honed for the last several years. We've worked on. And that people at the last stage of their life do something amazing. They let them go to waste. Someone who has a sharp mind that God has used for a while. They just let it. Turn to mashed potatoes. Someone who has worked year after year of playing a piano and they have some skill in piano in the last couple of years. Eh, eh, I'm going to let it go to waste. I know God's been working in me all these years. but eh, eh. Someone who has the ability to speak to people and talk to people about the Lord. Eh, let it go to waste. I'm just going to die. I'm going to let all these skills die. I can't imagine a worse thing than that. That God has used you all of these years. Prepared you. Give you skills. Sharpen things. And you let him just go to waste. Eh, my goal is the grave. I'm just going to ride out the rest of the time. Until I finally fall over into that grave. You know what a rut is by the way? It's a grave with both ends knocked out. And people get stuck in a rut. They're satisfied with where things are. Even though they know it's going to take them to the grave. They're satisfied. They don't want to change things. I just want to write out things the way they are now. They're stuck in a rut. And they don't want to get out. A rut's a horrible place because it is a grave. And so Brazili is approached by David. David's excited. This is someone that I could be used. Someone that could be a help to me. Someone that you have skills. Please, can you help me out? I need you. Brazili said, I can't. I'm too old. I can't. Oh, I can't because it's, it's just too much. I'm not interested in doing that stuff. It's too much for me now. I don't want to do those services. I don't want to go over those things. Oh, David, I know that you want to use me, but I don't want to be a burden to you. Uh, David, I, I'm too weak. I, I can't go on. Oh, David, I, I, I know, but it's too far. I don't want to do that. That's just outside my comfort zone. Oh, David, <laughs> it's too late. I'm, I'm happy we're where I'm at. I just want to go home until I die and just want to kind of ease out the last part of my life. It's just, it's, it's too late. What a horrible state. Here's a guy who helped David and had the ability to still be used. And by the way, let me remind you that even if you're a senior saint, you, saint, you could still be used of God. God can still use you. There are still things you could do in the kingdom of God. Brazili. Gave every excuse and David's not going to beg him. If he doesn't want to serve, fine. I'm not going to have you serve. If you don't want to be used, it's fine. I don't want to use you. So Brazili brought someone else up. Which is the third thing I want to show you is Brazili's exit. Brazili's exit. After Brazili gave all these excuses, David said, fine, do what you want. But Brazili said, fine, I'll at least give you this guy here. 
I'll give you the, this guy, someone to take my place, this guy named Chinham. I'll give you Chinham. Notice with me at the very end of verse 37. It says, Behold thy servant Chimham. Let him go over with the Lord the king. And do unto him what seemeth good to thee. Here, take Chinham. Chinham will be a help to you. Let Chinham go. Now, David wanted to use and reward Brazili. But because Brazili didn't want to be used, he could not be rewarded. But God, but David, the king, picked someone else. He had someone else and said, fine, I'll use him and I'm going to reward him. Notice, if you don't mind, what happens. Verse number 38, and the king answered, Chehinnom shall go over with me and I will do unto him which shall seem good to thee. And whatsoever thou shalt requite of me, that will I do for thee. And all the people went over Jordan and when the king was come over, the king kissed Brazili and blessed him and he, Brazili, returned to his own place. So they got to a certain place. Brazil, I said, I'm done. I'm not following anymore. The king said, well, love you. Thank you so much for what you've done. Wish you could go with me more, but bye. And Brazil, I left. It's over. Done. But as a famous radio commentary said, let's hear the rest of the story. What happens? Well, Brazil, I, we don't hear anything else from. But Chimham is used by David as an advisor, as a help. And David rewards him. And we can see that his name pops up a little bit later in Scripture. We're not going to turn there, but I'll make the reference of it. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 41, Jeremiah 41 and verse 17, we can see that some people are fleeing Jerusalem. And as they're fleeing Jerusalem, they stop at a little place called Bethlehem. And as they're stopping outside of Jerusalem and they're heading out, they stop Bethlehem, which is about seven miles away. They stop at a little, little place called the Habitation of Chinham, which we would understand it to be Chinham's Inn, the Inn of Chinham. He had a special inn outside of Beth, or inside of Bethlehem where people stopped by at, that David had rewarded him and he had got his own land and he used that land, set up an inn and named it Chinham's Inn. And after... Uh, David is up happening approximately 1000 BC. The book of um, the events that are happening in Jeremiah is in 586 BC. 500 years later, Chinham's M still there. Still functioning, still being used. But people speculate, again we can't prove it, but we speculate another 500 years after that. There was another inn outside of Bethlehem where a person by Mary and Joseph came. She was great with child. But unfortunately, there was no room in the inn. It was busy that night. That inn was still there. Chinham's inn still showing up. A reward almost a thousand years later. Think of that. Chinham's end still there. Chinham may not be used majorly in the annals of Scripture, but he was a help to the king. And because of that, the king rewarded him, and he was someone who was used within David's kingdom. And because of that, for a thousand years, he had a great reward. Imagine that. You understand, as you're breathing, God wants to use you. God has something for you. God has a plan for you. You say, I don't know what I can do, but God does. And God would be glad to show you what you could do. The only requirement is you must say yes. So many times people give excuses of why they can't serve God, why they can't show up to Sunday school, why they can't go soul winning, why they can't read their Bible, why they can't tithe, why they can't do this, why they can't do that. And let me tell you, all that is is an excuse it is a proven fact that people will do what they want to do. The excuses are just something you give not to do something you don't want to do. If you wanted to come to church, you could show to church. If you wanted to show up to Sunday school, you could go to Sunday school. If you wanted to give something to the Lord, you could give something to the Lord. If you wanted to tell others about Christ, you could tell someone about Christ. 
If you wanted to be used of God, you can be used of God. You know, the only ability you need to serve God is your availability. As long as you're available, God can and will use you. But when you throw up excuses, you take away that availability and it's hard to use you. Which is the question I want to ask you. Do you have this very special ability? Are you available? Anyone who wants to be used of God can be used of God. Regardless of your age. Little kids can be used of God. I love watching little kids be used of God. Senior saints can be used of God. You still have a ministry. You have a purpose. People who are disabled and hurt. You can still be used of God. People who don't think they're that smart. You could be used of God. People say, I have no skills whatsoever. You could be used of God. Isn't that great encouragement? You could be used of God. And what you are faithful with here, God will reward you and use you to help him in his kingdom for 1,000 years in the millennial kingdom. We're working in our faithfulness for that spot of what God can trust us with for 1,000 years. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be a part of God's kingdom and actively involved in what God is doing for 1,000 years? You say, how can that happen? Just be available. Are you available? Or are you using one excuse after another? Well, I can't clean the church because of this. I can't do this because of this. And I can't show up to this meeting because of this. And I just don't want to go to that. What excuses get in your way? You know what the best thing for you to do is just to make a decision and say, God, I want to say yes. I'm going to say yes to whatever you give me. Whatever it is, preacher tries to help me as long as it's not illegal, immoral, unbiblical, I'm going to say yes and I'm going to do my best to do it. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. Are you available? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.